Hey, welcome back to Pints and Perspectives, a podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church, where we believe there is a plethora of theological perspectives and plenty of beer to go around. Born on the bayou, do it, do it, do it. Hey, welcome back to Pints and Perspectives. You're here with your boys, Adam and Cullen, and we're going to offer some Pints and Perspectives. It do be that way sometimes. That's all I got. <laughs> You've been slacking on I your know, intros. I know. Sorry. Sorry. Um, I, I gotta. I gotta really work. You know, I'm putting in a lot of effort on another little YouTube project that's happening uh, oh, in the same studio. So uh, a little effort, a little effort, a little effort, my behind. Un poquito. That's not true. You did do quite a bit of production work. I put on, that work in. In, in in preparation for this last one. <coughs> that is true. You did. Yeah, and when it comes to pints and perspectives, I kind of just fly by the seat of my pants, you might say. So, because this is your show, not mine. Uh. No, you're the co-host. You get ownership in this show too. Look at this guy, always trying to get a loop, get get a way out, get a way out. <laughs> hey, comment below. How is Cullen's editing? Hey, uh, uh. <laughs> it has improved. If you're listening to RSS only feed, uh, you're missing out. I would encourage you to come over to the YouTube side. Get to the YouTube now. And I am uh, this computer that you see. If you're on YouTube right now, this computer that you see is antique. Okay? <laughs> I have to treat this it is, like an angel. Look, real talk. That is an antique at this point. <laughs> this computer is <laughs> ten years old. Um, it and it's been doing high-powered editing, editing 4K footage mm, tell for them. almost three years. Preach. It, it's time for her to be retired. Oh, send her to pa- I'll put her out to pasture. It's time to put her out to pasture. She needs to live out her days just surfing the web, you putting, mean, you putting mean, on YouTube videos for my children. Like, oh, she just needs her moment. Yeah, that's good. Please donate. Let me, <laughs> this yeah. is a this is let a me, pitch. Let me buy another computer, please. And if you do, the content gets better. Yeah, that's the whole premise of the pitch. Is I am capable of editing in much better softwares and producing much better content. But she, <laughs> sweet baby Alice here, <laughs> cannot handle what? the better editing softwares and 4K footage. <laughs> She was not built with 4K footage you in know, mind. It know, takes everything out of her to deal with the 4K. She's just from a different generation. And you can't te- you know, teach an old dog new tricks. This, this dog just don't hunt. Uh, oh, she do hunt. <laughs> she do hunt. Her hunt days are just numbered at this point. Right, okay? right, right, right. So, yes, please, if you would like, donate. We are making this podcast better. The editing is better. It's only going to improve uh so yeah and i just keep getting funnier and more handsome so well come back for that content until you start slacking well and don't have great intros you know i look full circle uh that was a great intro wasn't it (laughs) 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 welcome back to find some perspectives (laughs) uh we're gonna drink some beer uh as we do and uh i'm going to be drinking (laughs) The Carbach Brewing, uh, so Houston, uh, local Houston brewery. Uh, I mean, it's it's owned by a much larger company now, famously. Uh, but this is their Cerveza Especial Mexican style lager. And when I saw it in the fridge, when Cullen pulled things out, 
I was like, what is this? And uh, I think what I said was Carbock doing too much. Uh, it, it very much looks like a Modelo. Um, they're clearly going after the the Mexican style lager. Oh, yeah. It's definitely, they're trying to, it, I mean, it's a Modelo copycat. Uh, let's see. Mexican style lager. This Mexican style lager is refreshingly crisp with delicate sweetness. It's the beer you want in your hand to celebrate all of life's moments, no matter where you are. Enjoy Carbock Cerveza Especial at dinner with la familia watching the game or just to cap off another day well lived malts two row pale oh. vienna and corn hops tinanang um did i say that right tinanang uh 10 ibus 4.5 percent alcohol by volume recommended pairings carne estada berria carnitas Familia y amigos. Damn, that's making me hungry. Cerveza especial. Okay, look, so I have a little bit of a confession to make. This is a good time. This is a good segue. I I didn't buy the beer this time. Cullen did. He didn't know I was going to say this. But I had a beer revelation this past weekend. A beer revelation. What does that mean? Okay. So, like, most beer drinkers have kind of their, like, daily drinker. Or, like, you have your label. Your label. Yeah. Or you have like different beers you drink at different settings. Oh, yeah, for sure. Right. Like Or seasons. Or seasons. Yeah. Or, right, exactly. So I came to the conclusion this weekend. I did a ton of like outdoor like gardening and manual labor in this part of my house like all week, all day Saturday, what's all your, day Sunday. What's your... It's high- I need a beer just because it's hot outside and, and I'm working, working in the yard. I'm working in the yard and it's yeah, hot what's outside. What's your label? Okay, so I, I realized that my label is... Modelo Especial. Mm, it's great. It's fresh. It's crisp. It's so good. And so yeah. I, I also love a Miller Light. Don't get me wrong. I hey. love a Miller Light, and I love Coors Light for the same purpose. You know, I grew up drinking Keystone Light <laughs> and Natural Light. Yeah, that natty. Uh, you know, I drink just about anything when it's hot outside. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so we we had like my block. I live on this block, and they do a crawfish bowl every year. And so the keg uh, was Modelo. It was Modelo, and it's great. Yeah, it was perfect. And I and I'm realizing that like all of my neighbors, all their label is Modelo, and yeah. I and so anyway, it's a great label. So I say all that to say that recently, like within this past week, I have consumed a lot. Of Modelo Especial, gang, gang. So I'm looking forward to. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, the comparison. Hey, that's I'm assuming. Great. Uh, anyways, go ahead. We'll, yeah, what are you drinking? Uh, great segue here. I'm drinking the Saint Arnold Hideaway. Sainies. It's a margarita inspired beer, um, and y- you were talking about the crawfish boil. What did I tell you? My favorite beer to drink at a crawfish boil is. Oh, I don't remember. I, I don't. I'm sorry. I don't remember. Uh, anything that's like salt and lime. So, yeah, like okay. my go-to is usually the Taco Tuesday. Okay. Which the Taco Tuesday is a margarita in style. It's a, from like Carbox, a sea salt right? And lime. No, from Eleven Below. Eleven Below. Another Houston brew. Yeah, Eleven Below. Right, right, right. And I don't. I don't remember which one came out with theirs first. I think Eleven Bro below came out with the taco tuesday first well so there's other so, okay so my favorite citrus inspired margarita inspired beer is actually from dogfish head oh and, it, and it's called salty something oh i've not had that it's one. made with black lime oh and sea salt because it's they're like from boston or they're like from the northeast yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. a little bit of a different take oh. i think i have one in the fridge i'll try to get it out anyway yeah. sorry sorry to interrupt no, go ahead no that sounds great um 
Yeah, that sounds so good. It's My, different. It has I, I coriander go, in it as well. Yeah, which, if you didn't know, we also call that cilantro. Uh, right. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> great. This guy. <laughs> so, anyways, I have this. Um, it seems like St. Arnold is advertising it as a pretty uh, balanced beer, little lower on the hop side, uh, only 15 IBUs, 5% ABV. You're just going to taste a bunch of lime. I would imagine so. They're, what they say is, Hideaway is a dressed beer all in one delightful package that will help you hide away no matter where you are. Mm. This refreshing beer combines salt, lime, and a touch of tang to provide a crisp, bright yeah. flavor with an orange and citrus character derived from El Dorado hops. And just like a margarita. Just Fascinating. Like a margarita. So. I've never had that. I, I would like to try a sip. Okay, cheers. Cheers, buddy. I've never had it either, uh, obviously. I may have had it once, but if I did, I can't remember. Um, and my, like, normal, another, like, sea salt and lime style beer that I like to get is the Shiner sea salt and lime. Yeah, I'm not a big fan. Um, you know, if you're just looking for a beer that's a little more salty, like, if you're working in the yard yeah. and you don't want to drink something like a, you know, Modelo lime I mean, not a Modelo, a uh, Michelob Ultra, you uh, know, cactus lime or whatever it is. My, that's my brother-in-law's label. He drinks a lot of them. Oh, I have drank a lot of them. When I'm at his house, I drink them. We When we did your birthday party, one, one of your family members was drinking them, I think. Uh, Yeah, Brett. Yeah, 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 Brett. Um, okay, this beer is a Mexican-style lager. <laughs> like, it is... Um, I... My least favorite Mexican-style lager is a Corona. Sorry to all the Corona lovers out there. I love a Pacifico. Corona Light or Corona Premium? Uh, I am a fan of neither. Okay. Uh, and I can't tell you exactly why, but um, I, I love Pacifico, and Modelo is my favorite. <clears throat> I This is not meeting the Modelo standard for me. There okay. is there, It is a little bit less crisp. Um, and... I am moderately pleased, <laughs> and I don't have much to okay. say about the flavor profile because there's nothing going on. Okay. Interesting. I would um, I would love to drink this while doing yard work. How's that margarita? It's very unfiltered. So I was going to say, it has a weird haze to it. That's probably from the lime adjunct. Oh, yeah. There's just no way to get all that citrus out uh in that way and they're probably not juicing limes and then just putting the husks in you couldn't um, it, the salt would the salt contribute to it as well i mean are they depends on when you salt? did it if you yeah, added it to the point. boil no good point good point um because it would just dissolve into the to the wart uh and then any sediment like any yeah. thing that was left will go to the sedimentary at the bottom um well i guess for them you know in the the filter at the bottom of the conical fermenter but um, it's real flat. Okay, let me try. Like it, like okay. Look, this is a great example. Look at it these two It is flat. It's flat. It it tastes flat. It it has very little carbonation. I mean, it's kind of hazy, so you can't see what little it does have. I or do. It's hard to see. I see bubbles, but you make but, a good point. I mean, look at how much more yours is carbon. I mean, yours is maintaining bubbles on the top of the glass, and mine, like, taste it. 
Ooh, as build though, the limas. It's popping. I agree. That does not meet the standard of a Modelo. It does that not. tastes much more like a Pacifico and a worse version of it. Yeah, it's not. It's not great. I don't think it's like I wouldn't. Don't try to steal. Like, is this cultural appropriation? We're saying when we need her. For a white company, a, a mega mass, like, publicly Euro- traded. European-owned. Uh, brewing company. Brewing company to do a Mexican-style lager in Texas. Get out, because that's already been done, and it's done. it's been done way better. Yeah. Like, Modelo is brewed in Mexico. Well, but you also understand. Oh, no, no, no. That's Dos Equis. Dos Equis. I like a Dos Equis, too. Well, it's a Mexican-style lager brewed in Mexico. Mm-hmm. But Just like by a German. Oh, really? And it has like a German brewing oh flair to it. That makes sense. But uh, yeah, the beer. I think that's Dos Equis. Could be. I don't know. Anyways, my um, rating. My oh, did you want to say more about this? Uh, no, I was gonna rate it. Well, let me ask one question to you mm-hmm. about this beer. It, the way they market it is mark. Excuse me, margarita inspired. Do you get any margarita vibes? I mean, lime, of course. I mean, if salt and lime is the standard, but I mean, for me, like a great margarita has like sweetness, orange curacao, and it has, you know, like, um, like orange hints, which I mean, I get a little bit. Yeah. But but that's the orange curacao, right? Yeah. I think the other thing is like agave. Blue agave. agave from the tequila or, right. you know, and like for me, I like to, in my margarita, I like to use agave syrup right. or nectar instead of simple syrup right, um, or sugar. And, you know, there's no agave in this. Sure. Some ag- agave adjuncts, some smoked agave adjunct at Ooh. the end. This, this would have been far superior had they done something like that. It's not creative. It, it, it's a... A Mexican Pilsner malt sure. with salt and lime. Sure. And lime juice. Which there's a market for. Look, there's the a market juice, for. And the lime juice, I can tell because of how, like. You feel it? Yeah. It, it's like, it's. It, it, lime juice is kind of delicate. They did not put in the boil. Mm. It's added, like, after the wart. Maybe they put some lime husks in the boil. But this is real vibrant, and lime's pretty delicate. I mean, I like the lime flavor. I think they put it at the end. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's too pronounced to have. Yeah. It's too pronounced to have been boiled predominantly. I think it was an adjunct. The salt is the addition in the boil. It's just plain. 5-4. Ooh. Yeah, I'm going to give this a 5. Terrible. St. Arnold, I'm sorry. I do love you. Carbox, I'm not sorry. I like some of your beers. Hey, shout out. The Hopadillo, is, that's a beer beer. The Rodeo Clown. The Rodeo Clown. That's another beer beer. That's a beer beer we, beer. We, we appreciate the beer beers. The beer beers. But we don't like it when you produce stuff like that. No doo-doo, just beer beer. <laughs> oh, yeah. In fact, I would give that beer like probably like a 5-1. Like it's, it's, it's real low. You know. All right. It's an easy sipper, that's for sure. Crushable. Hey. <laughs> So talking about crushable beers, I was thinking about Ben Chambers and his concept of crushable the other day because I bought, um, uh, I went to the store and bought the uh, Buffalo Bayou uh, Crush City. IPA. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it is 
That beer is not crushable. That beer is not crushable. <laughs> it is thick. Uh, it, it is thick. It's got high IBUs. Yeah. It, <laughs> Opposite that of bitterness coats your mouth. Uh, yeah, that's a beer beer. Opposite of uh, crushable. Yeah, that's a beer beer. Okay. All right, what are we talking about? Uh, we're going to talk about sexuality. Gross. Uh, oh, sorry. That was just a purity culture trigger. <laughs> I was just like, is it gross? I kind of find it great. I find it kind of great. <laughs> well, you know, true love weights really did a number on me. Yo, facts, <laughs> facts, facts, facts. Um, so I don't, honestly, I don't know how many episodes this is going to be. We have our friend Ben Blackwell coming on in about a month. Um, to do a couple of episodes with us. We're going to find out if I'm a heretic from a PhD in theology that used to be both of our mentors. We're looking forward to this. It would be a great, and we're getting a third microphone. Hey. Shout out. Applause. Yes, it will be great. Uh, so I don't really know how I want to structure this. I want to do an intro into this idea of sexuality. Um, you know, I grew up in purity culture. You grew up in purity culture. Um, I was not a virgin when I got married. Were you a virgin when you got married? No. Yeah. So I don't know why I asked you that. I knew that. <laughs> I appreciate you not assuming things. I appreciate you giving me voice. Yeah, it's like, I don't know why I asked you that. <laughs> also, what if, what if I was like, I'd prefer not to say. Uh, I'd let you. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's what we should say is the Bible knows no conflict concept of like sexuality being a boundary. What do you, what, um, what, what? So well, re, maybe, re, maybe, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know what you mean. I guess what I'm trying to say, and I'm, the ancient world sexuality doesn't think about sexuality the way that a modern Western person does. Sure. Um, and I mean, maybe the best way I could say this is, you know, the Bible definitely talks about sex. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where purity culture gets its root, right? I mean, uh, it, it steals some of that from the Bible. I think it gets it from a power dynamic and a, uh, well, no, a, that's, a love of oppression. But anyways. Well, I think that's why it kind of came to fruition. Yeah. And because it was to, quote, unquote, protect young girls, mm-hmm. uh, moms got on board. Mm. Um, probably because they knew they were the victims of the abuse previously, and this was a way to protect them. There's a great book about this. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Maybe, um, maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll do a purity culture episode. I told you I thought we should do a purity culture That's episode. That's right. That's right. So I definitely think there's a lot of the way... I, I definitely think purity culture has impacted this conversation in a multitude of ways. Um, but I also think just like... Um, modernity and the concept of germs and learning about science yeah scientific development yeah has changed the way we view sexuality and stds well the bible still thinks pregnancy is based on god's like decision making It, it, it i mean and I guess, well, it's, I it guess gives people theological still think that, credence to God as the author of life. Like blessing or cursing, right? And, uh, rather than like sperm uh, enters egg. Well, that's not true. And pr- that's process. not true because there's the whole thing in Genesis. Um, I think it's 29 where um, the second um, brother that marries Tamar uh-huh. uh, 
he has sex with her and lets his seed fall on the ground so that he does not have a child. Yeah, okay. okay so so I, they do have concept. They know well, that that sperm fair. fertilizes that egg. Well, they didn't know about fertilization. They knew that if he ejaculated How do you think they her, breed cattle? How do you think they breed look, livestock? Yes, they do. What I'm saying is they knew, they knew that the junk coming out of the man's penis made the lady pregnant well yeah that's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it made baby in lady like I, I, they but they didn't have microscopes to understand uh oh, fertilization i was wrong genesis 38 oh, 29 i'm so disappointed I let's know. revoke one of those uh, many degrees you hold i can't i can't remember all the verse all, all the things so you don't I'm, have the I'm bible memorized far. no no that's because you had sex no. before marriage Probably so. Probably so. It probably <laughs> ruined me. I'm probably despised by God in some way. You're like a bruised rose uh, that's been passed around from person to person, and all value has been stripped, destroyed. Just stripped. I'm just a wilted And your flower. only hope is some measure of mental divine ascent. intervention to come in that's and right. restrike my posture. And hopefully, the benevolence. Of a very handsome young white man to come and save me. <laughs> yes, to put a yes. ring on it, as they say. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> <laughs> nah, uh, look, the ancient world's concept of sexuality is all over the place. Look, so I really do try to keep, you know, both ends of the spectrum as far as voices go in in, in my life. This is a book. By Zondervan, which traditionally is a pretty conservative publishing house. I mean, they're an academic, or this is not. This is not even Zondervan academic. This looks is just pretty Zondervan. popular. It looks pretty popular with that. Uh, cover yeah, that's art. so true. Uh, so this is going to be more popular uh, stuff, but it's written by a doctor uh, from. Uh, he's got a, a doctorate in philosophy, a DPhil. Oh, so UK uh, instead of a PhD from Oxford. Yeah, UK, okay. Um, so I mean, he's conservative, but he's not super conservative. Where does I mean, he teach now? Currently? Um, I mean, is he hold a professorship? Maybe not. Somebody, somebody. Old Testament him. professor of Old Testament at Biblical Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. Not going to be very conservative, mm. but Zondervan traditionally is a pretty conservative publishing house. Yeah. Um, and so. I got this guy coming and talking about it in the Old Testament. And he makes a great point that majority of it, like he has a whole chapter in here or yeah, he has a whole chapter in here about homosexuality. And the whole thing is like, I really don't want to talk about it. Not because it's like the buzzword thing, uh -huh. not because it's like the hot topic and I don't want to push any buttons, but because this is a book about Old Testament love. Yeah. And the Old Testament, by golly, is just not really that concerned with homosexuality. Yeah. There's a grand total of like two verses and one story in the entire Old Testament about homosexuality. 10,000 unique words. I mean, um, yeah, like 30,000 or 10,000 unique words, 60 or you know, 40-something chapters. And three references to homosexuality or a story about homosexuality. And you got another reference in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 16 tells you that Sodom and Gomorrah and the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah are not homosexuality. Nope. Hospitality. It's lack of hospitality to the foreign. Jesus tells us. It's that. lack of being kind. 
It's lack of being hospitable. It's lack of opening your doors. Um, it's lack of acknowledging the need in another human and exploiting that human for your own personal gain. Sounds like what we're doing to queer people today. Oh, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot similar. A lot similar. So, I mean, and then I've got this book, which this woman, uh, <laughs> I almost studied under her and did my PhD under her. Uh. Her name's April DeConnick. She's a religion professor at Rice University. Um, you might adjacently put her in the Christian tradition, but if I had to put her in a box, she's probably a Unitarian Universalist. Mm. Um, Me too. Go off, queen. And <laughs> this book is great. I mean, her number one chapter out of the gate is where what happened to Mother God? Nice. Like what, what happened to the femininity of God and why did we replace it with a gender neutral spirit? Cause the men in power are intimidated by femininity. That's part of her. That's part of it. Uh, that is part of it. Um, and look, when you, when you start reading this kind of stuff and this is about like the early church, yeah, right? This is about gender conflicts in the early church. I mean, it's not a new conversation. There used to be ancient world propaganda written all over ancient Rome. And it said, Julius Caesar sleeps with women for pleasure and men for power. Scandalous. These things are not new concepts. Yeah. I mean, you know, at the risk of being the Bible guy, which I already am, uh, Ecclesiastes has said, there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. Just new ways to repeat the same pattern. Well, there's no, it also, good point. Also, homosexuality is not a new thing. It's not some cultural revolution. When it's not unique to humanity. Right. There are other mammals that, for whatever reason, sometimes pleasure, sometimes other reasons that we can't really explain, have homosexual behavior. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So Even it, in mammals, dudes F dudes. <laughs> Just part of it. I don't look it up. Look, you're so eloquent. No, it's, it's good. It's good. Well, but that's the point, right? It's like no, there's nothing new under the sun. Humanity has always been there. Is there have always been transgender individuals in humanity? There has always been uh, gay individuals in humanity. There have always been queer individuals. There's always been asexual individuals. There's like these are not new human categories nope. of the 21st century that have been created for the liberal takeover for the socialist agenda. Over 450 species of animals worldwide have yeah. been documented with homosexual behavior. Yeah. And it's not unnatural. Pair That's bonding. Yeah. Compromising sure. courtship and sexual pair bonding with a same gendered yeah. partner. Yeah. 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 It's real. It exists. Stop oppressing people. Um, Sexuality in the Bible. Yeah. So. <clears throat> But I also think that no matter where you're at on this conversation of sexuality and Christianity or theology or the Bible, whatever, however you, whatever construct you want to put it in, everybody agrees that this is something sacred. And I think that comes from Genesis 2, Genesis 1, Genesis, the very beginning, the Imago Dei, that they were created, male and female, and the first thing they were told was to procreate and fill the earth. And you know what? I'm sorry. If God didn't want it to feel good, 
God wouldn't have made it feel good. Yeah, I I'm mean, just saying. That's a good point too, because in you know, in that little uh, Edenic story there, God does actively make some things feel bad. Work and childbirth. He could be like, and also sex bad. Sex is bad, and now you're going to suffer while you have sex too. But God, no, that's not what happened. Sex, <laughs> because for whatever reason. That whoever wrote and edited that, whatever, you know, the Jewish tradition that kept that collection of Genesis 1 through 11 and more specifically Genesis 1 through 3, sex was like a linchpin or a kingpin for what it meant to exhibit divinity. Wow. It, it's a interconnectedness between two entities that's undescribable. Yeah. Um, it's a give and take a thing of pleasure and comfort and vulnerability and creation and creation. It's the epitome of, you know, life bringing, right. which is a divine quality. Sure. Um, hmm. our sexuality is uniquely divine as far as, as far as it goes with us being image bearing humans. Our sexuality is divine. Now, there's also some limits to it, right? Yeah, and this that's is right. where we come up with purity culture and sure. the homosexuality issues and some of those things. Um, but remember how I was talking about homosexuality being like only mentioned like three times in the Old Testament yes. entirely? Nope. Jesus, Jesus never talks about it. The Bible is not concerned with the topic. Uh, it's just really not. Yeah. And certainly not in the way that we're talking about it. Definitely. But you know what it is concerned about? Ooh, what? Hatred and oppression and violence? Well, yeah, but I meant more so just <laughs> oh, as sexuality. it pertained to sexual. Sexuality. Uh, don't beat your wife. I don't know what. Yeah, Loyal, loyalty? It, don't cheat. So, like, marriage really matters. Yeah. There's a ton in the Old Testament about don't be an adulterer. And, you know, we can say all we want that the Bible says in Leviticus 18 that it's an abomination for a man to lie with a man mm. as he does with a woman. But you know what else? Proverbs says that the seven deadly sins are an abomination. And that's gluttony. I know all y'all fools out here overeating on Thanksgiving. So I'm just saying we need to be careful how we approach these things. Because <laughs> what Leviticus 18 really seems to be concerned with? Rape. Yeah, that's Adultery. Incest. Yeah. Cheating. Harm. Harm. It's not concerned with premarital sex. Well, it's not concerned with consensual, loving, meaningful, uh, mutually beneficial, uh, pleasurable giving and taking of two parties who are choosing to do it and enjoy it together. That is not what the Bible's concerned about. But the Bible is concerned about that happening and a woman getting pregnant and the man not doing his responsibility to care for them. <laughs> well said. And yeah. so it really commissions marriage. Yeah. It really pushes forward marriage. Um, 
And Jesus seems real concerned with not breaking marriage. That's why when those religious folk come to him and they say, hey, Moses says we can get a divorce, you know, whatever. And Jesus says, well, that's just Moses just permitted you to do that because of your own stubbornness, not you, because that's God's design. Do you think I may be running ahead of us here in this series, but like, do you think that Jesus took a stand uh, for marriage because it was like the right holy thing to do or was he defending the institution of marriage at that time as it was conceived in an effort to protect the vulnerable populations that were in those contractual obligations what i mean is do you think he was more so advocating for marriages to stay together for the sake of the woman and the child read this book Oh, if you one? want a great answer, she has okay. an entire section on here of what did Jesus think about marriage. And did I just get it? Did I just hit the nail on the head? Pretty close. Wow, that's great. Because, you know, because like growing. But Jesus, throughout his entire teaching, Jesus is an advocate for women. Jesus right. lets women Clearly. sit at places they are not welcome. Jesus lets people be present for conversations they should not hear. Jesus makes space for women to lead in places they are not looked at as leaders. Yeah, that's good. Yep. Jesus is the ultimate advocate for women. And so, yes, I have no doubt that Jesus wanted to protect marriage because you got these Jewish men out here divorcing women for burning their toast. Yeah, and they're then, masa bread. And then she has to become a sex uh, worker at that point. Yeah, at that point, there's very few things she can do. I mean, if she's early enough, if it happens like shortly after she's had a kid, she get remarried. She can be a wet nurse. Yeah. Oh. Oh, thanks. Like that's a that. But but really, her her value is what her body can provide. Commodification of a human being. Yeah. I mean, like women and children are property in the ancient world. Nobody (laughs) is thinking about this the way that we are. And so you know what, you know. You know what? Maybe we should try to have my friend Jake come on this. There's a whole thing about, there's a whole uh, group of study about sex and sexuality and the way that uh, sexual abundance, which at some point we're going to talk about this word porneia. Mm. It's a Greek word that can be translated as fornication or sexual excess or, you know, immorality. Yeah, all kinds of weird things. We'll talk about that at some point, but there's a study about the way that, sex and the sexual experiences that you have impact your brain and what they found is that like the overindulgence of sexual experiences it's like you get tamed to it right like anything right if you overindulge in something sure, your body sure, sure, sure. you know acclimates everything adjusts. in moderation yeah so like uh hugh hefner okay uh by the time he was like near the end of his career and dying in order for him to have an orgasm, he would have to have three of the Playboy girls. Whoa! Uh, uh, graphic uh, content warning. Playing, having sex with each other on the bed next to him while he was watching porn on the TV and masturbating by himself. That was the only way he could ejaculate. Jeez. And so the Bible does seem to be very concerned with sexual excess as well, like. All things in moderation. Now, I don't think that means that the extreme is you can only have sex with your wife or your spouse. Whoa. But I do think that the Bible is warning people away from like 
five nights a week going to an orgy. (laughs) (laughs) That that would be excess. Yeah, (laughs) The overindulgence, the sexual excess really is a problem, as well as the exploitation and objectification. At some point on here, we're going to talk about Jesus and his teachings on lust, um, which are ironically, uniquely tied to adultery. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. It's more about the fidelity concept. It's more about the trust. It's more about protecting people's vulnerability in the sexual experiences and states, not protecting them from sexual experiences. Ooh, preach. That's that's good. Yeah, I mean, it's about harm and exploitation and oppression and yeah. uh, uh, non-consent, non-enthusiastic consent. Those are the, the, the that is the problem. Those are the problems. Yeah, those are the bad parts. Those for are the sure, parts we have to for work sure. In. It the, the Bible is concerned about protecting those who cannot protect themselves. Yeah, and and when it comes to sex specifically, unfortunately, that's women. Men are yeah. traditionally larger than women, um, just in the way that biologically heterosex works. Um, men have the position of power. Yeah, um, and so by all of those things, it puts women in the place of harm. And the Bible is concerned about protecting the vulnerable, protecting um, those that cannot necessarily protect themselves. I mean, think about think back to the law, right? If you own a field mm-hmm. and you plant crops in it, mm-hmm. can you harvest that whole field? I mean, you can try, but you have to leave some. The Bible says you cannot. Levitical law says you cannot. Levitical law says you must leave the edges of your field to be um, gleaned. To be gleaned for those that do not own fields and cannot afford grain. So no, by and large, and that you know, that's what David Lamb argues in his book at the end, the last chapter on homosexuality. He's like, look, I don't want to have this conversation because the Bible's not concerned with this conversation. The Bible, the Old Testament specifically, is really not concerned with this conversation. What it's concerned with is the 141 times it mentions the lack of justice. Yeah, there you go. What it's concerned with is the hundred and something times that the lack of hospitality to the foreigner is mentioned. What it's concerned with is not who one person wants to... What it's concerned with is, is that consensual and is there harm? Right. Or are people being protected as the individual that is valued doing the thing that is closest to divinity? Yeah. I mean, sexual ethics, uh, purity culture, especially, uh, but like evangelical sexual ethics, I mean, which predominate Western society, I think, well, at least in the South where we live, our context, um, I mean, I really, it is really about controlling the bodies of yeah. women yeah. and, um, and children for that matter. Uh, and a lot of that is rooted in this power dynamic that men hold over the bodies of women. Like, like, well, isn't it interesting that that's where you go? And I think Jesus would agree with you. That's the unfortunate situation. It's, and still, so the, when, it's still commodification of human bodies. And so when Jesus says, Hey, don't do that. Yeah. I tell you that anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What does he say? Gouge your eye eye. out. Right. Pluck it out. The responsibility is on the man. Right. Purity culture put that on women and said, you must cover yourself. You must dress a certain way. You must do this thing as not to tempt me. Right. 
That's the power dynamic. Right. That's. It's even the abortion situation too, right? Like the like the fact that someone can make a legal argument that a woman does not have full autonomy over her body, even though there is another life in that body. Still, like, yeah. like the the when life begins and how that's handled and yada yada yada. I mean, we could have a whole conversation about abortion, right? But my point is, uh, when you legislate. Uh, what a human being can and cannot do is and is not allowed to do with their own sexual organs. Uh, that is that's a problem. It's it's problematic. It's problematic. Well, I'm not. Yeah, it is problematic. Now, I do think it's partly necessary, right? Like, I I I want pedophilia to be illegal. Yeah, I, mean, I don't want vulnerable people being harmed right. because of someone else's sexual impulse. Right, and I guess and like, a child cannot consent. I right. do not care what anyone says. A right. child cannot consent. Hundred percent. I mean, in the ancient world, if you were a girl, you could be married off as early as three years old. Are you kidding me? Yeah. You like him near had to be married by fourteen. That's because again, like you're you are a commodity. You're a commodity. You are property. You are valuable. Right, right, right. And somebody else gets to make the decision on how to use your body sexually. Yeah. And we don't live in that kind of world anymore. There's also really great arguments uh, that like the abortion laws of the United States are actually um, like that is really rooted in American slavery. Like keeping since- women down. Well, like the uh, the white master has always had control of the reproductive systems of yeah. their of women, and slave babies were slaves were commodities. Slave babies were commodities, and they and slave owners dictated um, and had policy and law around what females could and could not do with their bodies yeah. and their pregnancy. Um, and a lot of a lot of that same control still exists today, but at a much larger scale. And so, it's problematic at many levels. Um, yeah, mm. and the Bible, unfortunately, I think doesn't give us a whole lot of solutions to some of these questions. Well, but look, here's the thing: we have to remember the Bible's not having these conversations. Right. The right. Bible exactly the Bible doesn't know how to have these conversations because. Right. You know what? If Paul could have dreamed of the internet, maybe he'd have told us about pornography. Right. right. But, but he didn't. Because he didn't know it was possible. Right. Paul is writing apocalyptic letters thinking that the entire world's going to end in his lifetime. Yeah. Paul's not thinking that technology and advancement and all this shit that we now have is even possible. We got to stop holding the Bible to that premise that, that it has all of the answers when it's written by people that didn't even know these things could be possible. But isn't it interesting that the majority of the policies around sexuality and sexual identity and sexual practice in this country, at least a lot of the policies are debated on a biblical, on biblical grounds, like the conser- the majority oh. of conservative policy is rooted in a biblical reading. Look, not that I agree with it, look, but that's where it's coming from. If you want to use a rudimentary hermeneutic and commit hermeneutical gymnastics and proof text, a few things and sprinkle some Jesus dust on it. <laughs> And, and spout your political views, sounds, that's fine. Sounds but like Sunday mornings in but, America. But don't say it's based on a biblical understanding because you hadn't read shit about the Bible. Well, but they have. That's that's not true. No, they that's did not. not. True. They read a they read enough 
to craft and manipulate doctrine around what they wanted. But they did not take the text for what it was. They did not take the author's intent. Yeah. They did not understand the cultural understanding and what they were really trying to do. They took letter of the law and said, oh, yeah, that must mean spirit of the law. Literal That's writing. stupid. Yeah. That's dumb. We don't translate any other language that way. We don't translate any other document document that way. If you go and you listen to a translator translate something in another language, are they going to go word for word translation? No, because it's stupid if you do that. It doesn't make sense. What they do is they do spirit translation. They translate what the intent of the communication is and try to do that best they can word for word. Mm. But stuff's always left out. Sure. Because our goal is not to communicate word for word. In the ancient world, that's certainly not the case. Ancient world writers had liberty that we don't have as journalists and all of these other kind of information age protections around information and media. The ancient world doesn't have those. They had creative license and all of these other things that are lost on us in conservative evangelicalism here in america yeah modernity really messed us up really messed us <laughs> up man sorry for my rant yeah that was tell us how you really feel well intensity. Look, i believe i personally believe that the oppression of lgbtq plus individuals in the american church i think in 200 years we'll be looking back asking ourselves what the f did we do that for because it's the same argument for slavery People are using one-off verses Bro. to sprinkle some Jesus dust from the Bible in order to say that we should own slaves. I but in 200 years, we're going to go, oh, man, yeah, we really got that wrong. I 100% agree that that should be what their response will be. But there are plenty of Southern Baptist Convention leaders who still probably wouldn't mind a slave or two. That's probably true. But and probably still read the Bible that way. But look, here's the thing we know. And, and you know, throughout our life and, and the lives of our parents, Southern Baptist was king. Southern Baptist was king. Um, yeah. By the time my children die, by the time our children die, Southern Baptist will not be king. Uh, yeah, they're already. They are going down, going downhill fast. They got so much infighting amongst them about women and pulpits and Beth Moore and Saddleback Church and Rick Warren and all this stuff going in a, on. In a list of 20,000 pastors who are abusing. Abusing <laughs> women and stealing and doing all kinds of things. No, look, their, their time has come and gone. They're not going to be. They're not going to be king anymore. It's time for the Pentecostals to have their run. That's, oh. who's, that's who's coming up. And there will be downfalls and pitfalls from that, right? They got just as many kooks and narcissists in their pulpits as we did in the Baptist world. They're leading Christian nationalism. <laughs> well, it's true, but they're on the rise. They're the fastest growing denomination in the world. Yeah. Yep. Um, sure they will have their run. And we'll see what happens. Unfortunately, they're not affirming for LGBTQ people either. Not at all, but um, they do like women more. So They do like women, so it's progress. Yeah. Uh, and that's why they're going to overtake the Southern Baptists because it's just progressive. It's, it's progressive enough to take one step away. You got to yeah. deal with a little bit of crazy. See, this is the thing. Conservatism never, like, it is the opposite of progressing. So, like, but, and, but it's no, true. You but, conservatively stay where you are, but nothing stays where it is. No, Nothing. everything's constantly Ever. moving forward. Yeah, no, no one lives in Mayberry anymore. Well, I mean, just think about it. The world moves forward. I mean, right. every that's time what, you get a paycheck, point. every time you get a raise, uh, your life moves forward. That's and right. you make decisions that change the world. So let's progress together. Let's progress together. Until next time.
Thanks for listening to the Pints and Perspectives podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. Be sure to give us a rating and a review if you enjoyed the episode. It's free and it helps us immensely. Also, feel free to check out our other podcasts.